We're in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. And I want to mention that today, after the end of the message, there's a postscript. There's a P.S. It didn't really fit, or I could have made it fit, but I didn't want to do that. And so if I have time, I'm going to do the P.S. If I don't have time, I'm going to give you homework, and you do it at home, okay? Um, that's what we're going to do. Today we're in Genesis chapter 7, excuse me, Genesis chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 through 7. This is what it says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested, or he shabbat is the word. You hear the word Sabbath in that. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed, or even abundantly blessed, the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations, or this is the history, or this is the registration that all fits. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, or the man became a living soul, or the man became a living being. The seventh day. In my study, to the side of this, I have the Sabbath. But it doesn't say the Sabbath, does it? It says God, Sabaoth, he rested, but it doesn't call the seventh day the Sabbath here. I read into it, didn't I? And I'm doing this for illustration purposes because I think we all do this. I read into it what I know about the Sabbath and many things that Scripture teaches or things that I've learned, maybe that Scripture might not teach. It's called the seventh day here in Genesis chapter 2. It's very, re- it's very easy to read into a text all of the things that I know about a word or a phrase or a doctrine, and I have to be so very careful to not do that. Here in Genesis, he doesn't call it the Sabbath, and yet God has lessons to teach that go along with this seventh day later on. The day he ceased creating because he was finished with his work. Actually, the first time the word or the phrase Sabbath day's rest is used is in Exodus 16. You think, well, that's just one book later. Well, that one book is over 2,500 years later. And so the idea of having a Sabbath day's rest didn't come into the picture for over 2,500 years. That doesn't mean that what God did here isn't significant. It is. But what I want to be careful for us to do is to get a picture of what happened in Genesis chapter 2, not just everything that happens concerning the Sabbath and the Sabbath day's rest. Let me read for us Exodus 16, which was a long time after the seventh day in Genesis 2. So this is the picture. We've worked our way all the way through creation. We have Adam and all of his generation. 
we have Noah and all of his generation. We have Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And Jacob has sons and Joseph is one of his sons. And he's sold into slavery in Egypt and he lives out his life. And after he dies, there's a Pharaoh that arose that knew not Joseph. And so he imprisoned and enslaved the children of Israel. And they were enslaved, it says in Exodus chapter 12, for 430 years. All of that took place before we hear this idea of a Sabbath day's rest. Now, God was on the seventh day resting. He sabbathed, um, but we don't hear about a Sabbath day's rest for some time. Exodus 16, if you want to read it with me, verse 23, Moses said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. It's a word that's sabbathon. It almost sounds like a marathon, doesn't it? Only this is a restathon, all right? Um, uh, Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that's left over lay aside to keep till the morning. So he had already freed the children of Israel from Egypt. They were going into the desert. They were leaving, and he was going to provide for them. He provided manna. He provided quail. Verse 24. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. That's a big deal. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh, which is the Sabbath, there will be no more. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. You know, just those go-getters. I got to get ahead. I got to get a little extra. I got to make sure that God's going to come through, like he said he was going to come through. Who knows what their motive was? Um, But some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See... The Lord has given you the Sabbath. The Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. And they got it. So the people rested on the seventh day. And this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to talk about some of the controversy around the Sabbath day about what it means and how it should be treated. And then I want to take us back to Genesis 2 and see the simplicity of what the text says without reading everything that we know about the Sabbath and the rest of Scripture into that picture. All right? Some say, or live, and that's the same as saying, that God's example on the seventh day doesn't matter at all. Some say that. Some just live that. Others form an entire denomination around it. Some believers created a term referring to Sunday as the Christian Sabbath, which we don't find in Scripture anywhere. I talked with a pastor acquaintance a couple of years ago, and he told me, I don't know why he felt compelled to do so, I didn't feel manipulated at all, but he told me that he was becoming a sabbatist. And the first thought that I had was, I wonder how you even spell that thing. And then I thought of Acts 15, and I'm thinking, why would you do that? God has freed us from the law. Why would you place yourself back underneath it? Constantine, Roman emperor, added to the confusing by cha- confusion by changing the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday in A.D. 321. That's probably where the idea of a Christian Sabbath came from, um, but it has had its influence. There were misunderstandings in Jesus' day also about the Sabbath. In John chapter 7, to the crowd at the Feast of Booths, Jesus would say, I did one work, 
and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, he said, but from, from the fathers, and, you're circum- and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man whole by his whole body well? And so there was a confusion there. We can do certain things like circumcision, very, very few things, but Jesus don't heal anybody for sure. My word, God forbid, when he didn't. Um, But they had other limitations, significant limitations. Jesus is saying the Old Testament priest can circumcise on the, excuse me, the, the priest can circumcise on the Sabbath, but I can't heal? That seems inconsistent. There were misunderstandings in Jesus' day. Paul, the apostle to the, to the Gentiles, encountered confusion in more than one church concerning the Sabbath and concerning the law in general. To the Galatians, he would write, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? That's pretty strong language, isn't it? How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored in vain for you. That's strong. It makes it a really big deal. It's mentioned in Romans. It's mentioned in Colossians also. Actually, Colossians 2 is the postscript if I don't get there. Um, read it this week. Of course there's going to be multiple teachings and confusion about the Sabbath in our day and time as well. I would say knowing that a believer is who he is or is who she is by the grace of God, I think it's fair to say if someone thinks they're more holy or more religious or more devoted because they observe the Sabbath, that's a red flag. Everything I have, all that I am, is because of Jesus Christ. It isn't me conforming to the Sabbath. It's because of the blood of Jesus Christ who, who, who protects me and covers me and forgives all my sin. We just, we just did the visual of it. That's everything that I have. That would be a warning if I think I'm more holy, more religious, more devoted. And that can happen. I'm guessing that's what a Sabbathist is and does. I don't know. That would be a warning that my human effort is added and needed for the grace of God. Jesus is my holiness. Jesus is your holiness. He was before I came to know him. I didn't know it. He is now that I know him. He will be in my future as well. He is my all in all. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we do that once a month usually around here. Jesus had something to say about the Sabbath. This is in Mark 2. You might want to turn there. Mark 2 verse 23 One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. So they're walking through the field, they've got their hands out, and they're plucking a little milo or wheat or whatever it was that they had there. Oh my word, they've broken the Sabbath, was the the accusation. Verse 24, the Pharisees were saying to him, look, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did 
When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence or the showbread. And the showbread was 12 loaves, one that represented each of the tribes that sat on a golden table. They were hungry, they were famished, and he ate the showbread, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, Jesus said to those that were around, the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God gave it to you. First, he visualized it, Genesis chapter 2. We'll get back there, um, though he doesn't call it Sabbath there. But later he does and draws various lessons from it. But he made it for you. He didn't make you for it. It isn't about religiosity, it's about God recognizing we need Sabbath day's rests. And then he said in verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even even of the Sabbath. I'm Lord of everything and it includes the Sabbath as well. God's example in Genesis 2 much later, like 2,500 years later, made part of the law, was made part of the law, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Way back in Exodus 16, Israel needed a rest. They had been enslaved for generations, 430 years. They had labored long and hard. They needed rest, and God gave them a Sabbath day's rest, a Sabbathon, a a marathon of rest. He didn't make you for the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath for you. And, by the way, Jesus says, I'm Lord of that also. And we know that. To observe the Sabbath today in a ritualistic manner is not spiritual superiority. Actually, I think you could make a pretty good case for keepers of the law in whatever flavor it might come out is presented as the weaker brother to the Corinthians and the Romans as well. But if you observe it, listen to this, but if you observe the Sabbath, observe it unto the Lord. We're going to find that in Romans 14. If you observe it, observe it unto the Lord. I don't need to seek to compel others. And the man who talked with me, I didn't feel manipulated or backed into a corner. And and what he does, he needs to be fully convinced in his own mind and observe it as unto the Lord. What they do, they do unto the Lord as well. Listen to what Romans 14 says about this. Romans 14 verse 5. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. That all by itself probably bothers some of us or some people in Christianity today. Because we like it and feel more comfortable when we all talk the same, when we all look the same, when we all read the same, when we all do everything the same. And yet Paul is saying, listen, I just want you to be fully convinced in your own mind. Whatever you do, do as unto the Lord. He who observes, verse 6, the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. He who gives thanks, for he gives thanks, gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. None of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
So then each one of us must give an account to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. This Sabbatist friend of mine would do or should do what he does as unto the Lord. I might not agree with him, but, but ours isn't the task of mentally getting him to line up with what I have in my minds and my thoughts and my theologies. Mine is to live what I do and do what I, do what I believe as unto the Lord, as is his as well. Jesus' Jesus's words of the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath are still true. That said, a day of rest is a good thing. And let's be honest, a day of rest is a rare thing for most of us. What we call a day of rest, we pack with golf and fishing and mowing the yard and cleaning the house and watching the grandkids and going to the games and all the stuff that we do. A day of rest is still necessary. A day to cease production. A day to remember who God is, what he's done, not only brings physical vitality, but spiritual vitality as well. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, just a little bit before, God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. They were completed. They were accomplished. And the hosts of them. On the seventh day, God finished his work, uh, his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The word Shabbat literally means to cease. We see rest in there and we think, did God lose power when he said, let there be light and created everything? No, he was just as strong as he always was, almighty. He ceased from that work. And it's a good translation to say rest, but also to say that he ceased works also. To desist from exerting oneself, to bring it to an end. Listen to this one. It can be an intermission. God finished his work of creation, but he had other works that he was doing. He had about a third of the created angelic beings that were, that were being rebellious, and he had to deal with that. He was getting ready to set his plan of redemption into motion, and he was de- needing to deal with that. But with this creation task, these six days, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. He finished the work. That's what Genesis 2 is helping us see. It's as if God is saying, I have finished my work, I have considered it, I've looked at it in a panoramic form from day one all the way through day six, I've seen everything that I made, and it is very good. I will cease to exert myself, rest if you will, that's fine, my creation is finished. I will bless this day, exceedingly bless this day. The seventh day of my creation, it is holy, it is consecrated, it is set apart. This is one holy day because of this very good work which I have created and I'm finished. In Genesis 2, that's what we have. And so when I say the seventh day and then to the side I put the Sabbath, implying all of the things that the Sabbath speaks throughout the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament, I get a little bit ahead of myself. And I can lose sight of what the real picture is. This is God saying, look at what I have done. This is very good. I'm going to consecrate this day and it's going to be holy. Does he use it later on to teach lessons for mankind? Yes. Jesus acknowledged that. God gave the Sabbath to man. He didn't create man for the Sabbath. 
Later, a long time later, God would have Moses draw lessons from Genesis 2. This is what God did. This is what I want you to do. We read read Exodus 16. Um, If you wanted to write it down, you could read something similar in Exodus 20. Um, We know that passage is the Ten Commandments. We're going to read a little bit of the Deuteronomy passage. Again, in Exodus 31, here he calls it a sign between him, God, and the children of Israel. And that's interesting. Exodus 31, if you want to follow along, I'm going to read a few verses. Exodus 31, verse 12. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it's a sign between me and throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Verse 14, You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, uh, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. That's a big deal. Whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath's rest, holy to the Lord. And so we see this transition, but it didn't come for 2,550 some years. Work shall be done for six days. The seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Verse 16, therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. Who? The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is verse 17. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, you know the story. Moses was up in the mountain. He gave Moses two tablets, uh, two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And I'd like to suggest that if someone is a Sabbath keeper, they need to do what they do as unto the Lord. But where is their animal for sacrificing this morning? Why was there no lamb brought in that we would sacrifice it on the Lord's Supper table? Because Jesus fulfilled all of that. Deuteronomy 5, Moses related, I'm quoting, Deuteronomy 5, Moses related the Ten Commandments to the next generation of Israelites. Here, after commanding Sabbath observance in verses 12 through 14, Moses gives the reason the Sabbath was given to the nation of Israel. Chapter 5, verse 15 of Deuteronomy says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. And then we have honor your father and mother and you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. He gave it to them because they needed it. They'd been in, they'd been in servitude for over 400 years, 430 years. But in Genesis 2, what we have is God ceasing from his work, declaring it is good Sabaothing from his work. One commentator wrote that the account, the creation account from Genesis 1 1 to chapter 2 verse 3 is like a genealogy of creation. We have, we have Adam's genealogy in Genesis chapter 5. We'll talk about it a little bit in another week. We have Noah's genealogy in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 10. We have Shem's genealogy in Genesis chapter 11 all the way up until it gets to Abraham. If we wanted to look at Jesus' genealogy, we'll, we look at Matthew chapter 1 and we look at Luke chapter 2. And this man believes that Genesis 1, 1 to chapter 2 verse 3 is a genealogy of how God created the heavens and the earth. But it doesn't say in Genesis 2, go create a denomination around the Sabbath. It doesn't say 
Israel observed the Sabbath. That doesn't come for another 2,500 years. It doesn't say church observe the Christian Sabbath. Actually, in Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, I think it's significant and interesting that, G, that John is on the island of Patmos in the spirit, not on the Sabbath, on the Lord's day. Over in Acts chapter 20, on the first day of the week when they were gathered together, it's spoken in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, take up a collection on the first day of the week. All topics worthy of consideration in light of the whole of Scripture, but we have to be careful that we don't read something into it. And when we look at the picture of Genesis chapter 2, what we see is God enjoying the work that He has just accomplished and saying, it's done. I am finished with the creation. It is going to go into motion. And then he Sabbathed. I want to read Hebrews 4, and I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews 4, because I'm going to read a little bit. And then I mentioned a postscript, and maybe I'll read it, and maybe I'll just give it as homework. And the reason I want to read Hebrews 4 is because Hebrews 4 brings in another unique emphasis on this day that God Shabbath, and in the text, the author says that specifically. We're in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and it says in verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, and the author is writing to Jews who maybe didn't know the Lord or for sure didn't know the Lord, they still had their religiosity and their religion, but they didn't have relationship. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, the Evangelium, for good news came to us as to them, the Old Testament Jews, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And I remember Richard came this last week and the seniors had a a study that they're doing and and the commentary uh, said something and he wondered about it. And I I thought about that in Hebrews chapter 4, Richard, as I was reading through this. God said, these people who have not united faith with the message will not enter into my rest. There was a place in time, God only knows we don't have the ability to discern nor imply that we do, when God's patience is done. And he said, you will not enter into my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere, that's interesting all by itself, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the Evangelio, the good news, failed to enter it because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Listen to this. Today, saying through David so long afterward, in the word already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Maybe you come to church here today and it's the first time, or you've been here a few times, or maybe you've been here a whole bunch of times, but if you don't know the Lord and God's Spirit speaks to your heart through His Word and you recognize, Jesus died on the cross for me. We pictured this. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. You might think, well, I'm going to live tomorrow. I'm going to have another opportunity. Who told you that? 
What he said to these Hebrews is, they will not enter my rest because of disobedience to the faith. They heard the message. They got the good news. They rejected it. They don't get another opportunity. I don't have the ability to say when that is. Neither do you. But we can see in Hebrews 4 that it's there. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest when they went into the promised land, God would not have, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest. And this is a word that means a resting as on the Sabbath. There remains a Sabbath rest. Where did I go? For the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. And it isn't that I work and I observe the Sabbath and I fulfill all of the laws, but it's the idea that I resist all of that and recognize it as Jesus' blood and only Jesus' blood. Let us strive to enter that rest so that no, no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's possible to fall by that same sort of disobedience. And then you know these words, for the Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division, soul of the spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I could stand here, you could stand there, and what it's saying is God knows every single one of us absolutely, completely, intimately, we're not going to hide anything from him. And he knows if our faith is genuine. He knows if it's a facade. He knows everything from my heart. And he says, you be careful to enter in. And then he says, since that we have a high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Verse 16, let us end with confidence drawn near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. In Hebrews 4, the author likens a Sabbath's rest with salvation and forgiveness. So that's unique. He goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and he likens this Sabbath rest with salvation and forgiveness, a different twist. I hope that you can envision, and I'm finishing, and then I'm assigning. I hope that you can envision, if you will, God, however he did it, sitting, standing, looking, is looking over his six days of creation, Genesis chapter 1, all the way through the end of the chapter, and saying, I have finished this work. This is not just a good work. This is a very good work. And I'm going to cease from this work because it is absolutely everything that I wanted. And because of that, we worship him. Amen. The postscript is Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 through chapter 3, as far as you want to read, I stopped at verse 3. And I want you to read that this week because it speaks about lifting some days higher than other days. But what I wanted us to do this morning is get a picture of what God was experiencing, what he did in Genesis chapter 2 when on the seventh day he ceased or he rested or he intermissioned from the work that he had done. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. Thank you for the clarity of your word. We acknowledge confusion, not just because of Old Testament things, but because of things that happened in the Gospels with Jesus and with Paul and the epistles, even in our day as well. We ask that you would open our minds and give us clarity as to who you are, 
um, as to what a Sabbath day's rest is, as to the need of taking a break every now and then, seeing you and what you did as an example as well. And Father, I pray most of all that each one of us would be fully convinced in our own minds because we recognize that we're going to give an account to you as holy God. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.